most of the time we celebrate Christmas in the church by talking about the birth of Jesus. And that's a very valuable thing to do. Um, Very often we will do that. Because the incarnation is uh, an extremely important event. But we almost never talk about the present. And by what I mean by the present, I mean, what is Jesus doing right now? And why does that matter? The Bible actually tells us what Jesus is doing right now. And that's going to be our topic this morning. We're going to look at three places in the New Testament, starting with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. And that'll be up on the screen. It says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's a little vague here, but where is Jesus? Jesus is seated in heaven. Okay, now look at Colossians 3, this is a little more clear. Verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So where is Jesus right now? He's seated in heaven. And finally look at Hebrews chapter 12. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising shame, and is what? Seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we're we're not going to look at all three of these passages in detail, but I wanted you to see that this isn't just a one, one place thing. Okay, Where is Jesus? Jesus is seated in heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God. Where has Jesus been for the past 2,000 years, according to the Bible? He's been sitting down. Jesus was only a baby for a short period of time. And He was only physically present on the earth for about 33 years. But Jesus, according to the Bible, has been sitting down in heaven for 2,000 years. He's alive. He's breathing. He has a resurrected body. He has a pulse. And he is sitting in heaven. 
And this is slightly confusing to us because we um, we think of sitting in our culture as a position of weakness. Okay, we think of um, the player sitting on the bench, like Cristiano Ronaldo this week, right? The greatest players of football to ever play the sport. And the coach benched him. He sat on the bench for probably the most important game of the year for him, right? I mean, we, we think of sitting as weakness. We would rather be in the game. We would rather be doing something. We would rather be active. And so it might be easy for us to think of Jesus as sitting in heaven and assume that he's sitting idle while the world falls apart around us. Is Jesus sitting because he's powerless to do anything about this world? Is he sitting because he's unconcerned about what's happening in our world? Is he sitting because he just kind of wants to watch history unfold from the throne the way we watch TV from the couch? Is that what Jesus is doing? Just kind of sitting in heaven watching things happen. And we think that way, but that's, that's, that's the wrong image. It's the wrong image because Scripture portrays sitting in a much different way. Especially sitting on a throne. Okay, so if you think about it in those terms, thinking about it in Bible times, Jesus is sitting on a throne. He's sitting at the right hand, which is the place of honors, the place of power and authority. It's a position. He's ruling. He's, he's, he's watching, but he's praying. He's leading from that seat. And in context, if you look closely at each of the verses that we read, there's this direct relationship between Jesus and the church. And what each of the Bible writers is telling us is that who we are as Christians has a lot to do with where Jesus is right now. And that's what I want us to look more closely at. Go back to Ephesians 2. So we'll put it back up on the screen. Verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Okay, so the Apostle says, We are loved by God, who is rich in mercy, we have been made alive with Christ. We have been saved by grace. Each of those words, I know, if you're not familiar with them, we could spend a whole sermon kind of talking about what each of those words means. But they're all good words. We get that, right? Then verse 6, he says, And then God raised us up with Him, that's Jesus, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Okay, so 
We've been raised up with Christ. We have been seated with Christ. We have an inheritance of immeasurable wealth in Christ. But I want you to focus on that second promise on the screen. God seated us with him in heavenly places. We'll read that again. God seated us with him in the heavenly places. What do you notice about that sentence? It's past tense. The word seated. It's already happened. Well, look around. Are you physically seated in heaven right now? Do you see Jesus? No. (laughs) Right? So what is Paul saying? I mean, that's a valid question. I mean, he says, past tense, we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Okay? I don't see that. So what's he saying? Well, one day... The Bible teaches we will actually be with Jesus physically. Okay? And in a greater sense, there is a future reality being implied here. A time when we will, as Christians, exist in perfect harmony with God. And we will dwell in a world that's been fully repaired and restored. We will have sinless bodies. There will be no death, no pain, no crying. That's all true, and that is all in the future. But the apostle says seated in past tense to imply that in some sense, we are already on the next level with Christ. In some sense, it must already be true. Our future is so certain that Paul can talk about it as if it's already happened. And the Bible does this many times, and it is no small thing. It begs the question, am I, as a Christian, seated in the knowledge that I am seated in Christ? Maybe a better way to ask it is, am I resting in the knowledge that I am resting in Christ? That my position in Him is as secure as His position of power and authority beside the Father. Because that's the force of what Paul is saying he is telling us to define our lives by that hope to define ourselves by that hope now in some ways we already know how to do this we're taught a lot in american culture to think about the future We define ourselves by our hopes and our dreams, especially when we're young, right? People ask us constantly, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be? And I remember 
getting that question. And when I was younger, I always had an answer ready. Okay, do you want to know what my answer was? I'm going to work for NASA one day. That's what I used to say when I was a kid. Okay, and that's really what I wanted to do. Um, my my dad was kind of an engineer, and I grew up going to his lab and and watching him tinker with things and. And he was into NASA, you know, always, we always watched the space shuttles launch. We always talked about all of that stuff together. And, and so I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work for NASA one day. That's what I'm going to do. That was my dream. I did science projects all through high school, middle school. And I really thought, this is what I'm going to do one day. Well, when I started college, my major was... Engineering. And I even had an internship working in a lab with a graduate student who was designing a plasma rocket system. So I thought I had arrived. First semester finishes up about this time. I I go home for Christmas break, excited about my future. Just one problem. Turns out I'm terrible at math and science. (laughs) I got my first transcript in the mail, opened it, and was devastated to find out that I had failed calculus and chemistry. (laughs) And guess what? My dream of being a NASA engineer died that day. (laughs) Now, many of you have probably had some moments like that, right? Where you just kind of had to recover from some broken dream. And it's difficult, right? Failure stinks. I mean, what do you do when you realize that the future that you imagine for yourself is not going to work out? It's just not it's just not going to work. Now, I could have kept trying, you know, I could have kept fit, you know, but God didn't make me an engineer and that's not even the point. The point is that we know what it feels like to define ourselves by the future, by what we hope will happen. We do this, we teach our kids to do it. And what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's leveraging that feeling because the Bible takes the guesswork out of our future. It tells us where we're going to be and what's going to happen. And then encourages us to ground our present reality in that that hope, that dream. In the same way that a student is working now for something they hope to achieve one day. But to, to root it there. You see, the future of the Christian is not defined by our successes and failures. The future of the Christian is defined by our hope in a perfect risen Savior, our King Jesus Christ. So I want you to imagine if you knew with certainty where you will be in 10 years. That might be cool. It might not be, right? Depends on where what the answer is. I mean, some of you may be like, oh, I'd love to know where I'd be in 10 years. Some of you are like, Not so much, right? But I want you to imagine, better yet, where will you be 
in a thousand years. Is that a silly question? It's not. Not for the Christian. You may not know much about the rest of your earthly existence. None of us do. You may have plans and hopes and dreams. And you might not survive another day. We have no idea what the Lord has planned for us in this life. But we all know, those of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ by faith, we all know where we're going to be in a thousand years. There is no guesswork in that. There is no maybe. If you believe God's word, then what he says to you is this. Let me tell you who you are and let me make it a little bit easier for you. Let me tell you where you're going. Where you will be one day. You see, we have been granted a seat in an eternal kingdom. And if you're united to Jesus Christ, then you don't have to worry about the future. And you, you, if you don't have to worry about the future, then you don't really have to worry about the present, do you? And this is what the apostle is teaching. This is why he says it in the past tense. He wants us to have confidence that it's already secure, even if it hasn't actually happened yet. That so much so that we would define our lives by what is true, what God says is true. Because right now, what Jesus is doing is He is preparing for us a seat at His table. Listen to John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself that That where I am, you may also be. I love, he says, let not your hearts be troubled, right? What's he speaking to? He's speaking directly to our worries. He's speaking directly to the troubles of our heart that come from all the things that we worry about. And most of the time, we allow ourselves to be defined by the things that we worry about. And so what is it that you worry about? Because we're all a little different in this, right? Are you worried about the future? You worried about the past? You worried about your marriage? Are you worried about your parents? And their marriage? Worried about money? or grades, or opportunities. Worried about finding love. Worried about your health. Worried about death. And Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. For I go to prepare a place for you. Have you ever been in a situation... 
where you go through a line to get your food, like in a cafeteria, and then you've got to find a seat. And it can be awkward, right? So let's say you're there with some other people and all of your friends go through the line first and they get to a table and there's no seats left at this table. That's a very awkward situation to be in, right? It's a really bad feeling. Like, where am I going to sit? All my friends are here, right? But if one of your friends remembers you and saves you a seat, then it feels like you belong, right? You feel, you feel loved in that moment. And this is, I mean, that, that may sound really simplistic, but I, I want you to just kind of, that feeling of like, oh, I was included. Someone thought of me, right? A, a hundred times that, but that feeling is what we're supposed to feel when Jesus says to the Christian, I go to prepare a place for you. So he's saying to us, stop acting like you don't already have a place at my table. Because that's what you're doing. When you worry. Right? Where am I going to sit? What's going to happen to me? Where am I going to be? What happens after all this? We should know what it feels like to be loved eternally in Christ. We should always feel accepted, included, cherished on the inside Never left out, never left behind. The only reason that we wouldn't feel that way is because sin has deceived us. Because sin is stealing the joy of, of, of knowing and resting in the, in the fact that God loves and accepts His children in Christ and that we didn't do anything special to earn that. It's just true. It's just true. You're okay. You're okay. And I know that this is an everyday struggle because it is for me to believe God's promise, to live like it's true each and every day. It, it becomes a battle. By tonight, I'll remember, and tomorrow morning, I will have forgotten. <laughs> and this is, this is the struggle. But if we believe that Jesus is coming again, then it will begin to have an impact on how we live our lives today. One of the first things that they teach you in wilderness training is that if you get lost in the woods and you have no idea which way to go, what should you do? You should stay put. Did you know that? Okay, so if you're lost in the woods and you don't know where to go and you don't know where you are, you should stay put because... Moving around decreases the odds that a search party will find you. Did you know that? It's just math. So if you stay put, they're more likely to find you. Okay? Well, what if no one's looking? What if you believe no one is looking for me? What should you do then? Then you should move. <laughs> right? Then you should try to get to safety because sitting still is giving up. But if you know that someone is looking and you know that staying put is the best thing to do, what will you do? You'll sit down and you'll wait and probably pray, even if you're not religious, right? The Marines uh, have a saying 
no one gets left behind, right? You've heard this. Um, in the movie Black Hawk Down, which was based on a true story, this is an older movie now. It's hard for me to say that because it's really not that old, but some of you have never heard of it. Um, but there's a pilot named Mike Durant uh, who was badly injured in a helicopter crash and in a part of Mogadishu, is, he's surrounded by enemies and his fellow Marines are flying around the city announcing over a loudspeaker, Mike Durant, we won't leave you behind. Mike Durant, we won't leave you behind. And so they're trying to figure out what to do and two men volunteered to, to drop in and try to protect Durant, extract him. Both of those men were killed in that incident, Mike was captured and 11 days later was released. And he survived. He kept flying and he ended up retiring as a decorated veteran. So here's the thing. The Bible tells us clearly Jesus won't leave his people behind. Not going to happen. You're in a firefight. <laughs> Stay put. Believe he's coming back. But he will not leave you behind. He will not. He is preparing a place for you. What if you didn't believe that? What if you don't believe... Jesus is really coming back. Now, I'm not saying, I mean, you're in church, right? So you're at least professing that you believe that or, you know, thinking about believing it. But just, just you in your heart, no one sees the answer but God. Do you really believe Jesus is coming back? You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell anybody. Just be honest. Do you really believe it? If you don't believe He's coming back, what would your life look like? Well, you'll try to make the most out of this life, right? Um, you'll Live your life trying to get as much happiness as you can out of it. Trying to make your life as good as it can be now. And you know what that feels like really for most people? who don't have faith that Jesus is coming back, it looks like wandering around lost in the woods. Feels like that too, because I was an adult when I became a Christian. I remember what it feels like. This is not as good as it gets. Our longings for something more will someday be a reality. And the only way that we will stop being satisfied with what the world offers us in this short life is to long for Jesus to return.
and he promises that he will. And where he is right now actually does matter. You can't see him. You can't touch him. But he is where he's supposed to be. And he has asked us to trust him. And that's really what Christmas is about. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that You would encourage our hearts with the knowledge that You are seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That one day You will return and You will be with us for eternity. Father, if we're honest, so many of our days we wander around this earth trying to figure out who we are and what we're supposed to do and how we can be happy. And We feel lost in the woods. Chasing from one thing to the next. But Lord, I pray that You would lead us to Christ the first time or the 10,000th time that we would trust that You are enough. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together and sing.